Welcome back to the Get Outside With Kids podcast with Jen and Kate. Today, we're really excited to be joined by a special guest, Dr. Melissa Lem. I actually know Dr. Melissa Lem through my work at BC Parks Foundation, where Melissa is the director of our Parks Prescriptions Program. Melissa is a family physician and president of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment. She is appearing, has appeared in all kinds of media and for environmental organisations to write and speak on the nature and health connection. She holds a faculty appointment at UBC and was the inaugural winner of University College's Young Alumni Influence Award at the University of Toronto. Melissa also has a son who is eight, and she joins us now from the Vancouver area. Thank you so much for being with us, Melissa. Hi, Kate and Jen. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So we wanted to invite you on for lots of reasons, Melissa. You know, we hear so much about the health benefits of being outside in nature, and that's kind of what our whole podcast is, is based around the idea that being outside is better. But we've not really touched on the subject of actually why. <laughs> we talk a lot about our sort of sanity as parents and how it helps us to deal with the monotony not in the of you know parenting some days and how it helps our kids kind of to to be more active and that sort of stuff but we haven't talked about the health benefits so we're really sort of interested to hear that from you as well as the parts prescription program which is Canada's national prescription program for time outside in nature um, and maybe we could start with that maybe you can tell us a little bit about what is the parts prescription program and why it's something that's so important to you. PARX is Canada's national nature prescription initiative and it launched in November 2020 with the BC Parks Foundation um, in BC first and then over the last year and a half or so it's spread to every province in Canada. So um, we launched in Quebec with Prescree Nature in May and then in Newfoundland and Labrador, which just kind of stretched our program straight across the country in June. And it's a program where any licensed regulated healthcare care professional in Canada can prescribe nature to their patients to improve their mental and physical health. And we have a standard recommendation that patients spend at least two hours in nature each week and at least 20 minutes each time. And it's based on the latest evidence um, and backed up by what you mentioned, Kate, that parents, kids feel better when they spend time outside. And I think it's just a really elegant example of something that feels good and then also is backed up by research um, at, at the same time. Can you tell us about that magic number, Melissa, the, the two or two and a half hours outside um, or 20 minutes a day? Where does that come from and what kind of benefits do you start to see after that time? That two hour per week benchmark came from a study that was released in 2019 and it was a study of almost 20,000 adults in England. And they asked them how much time they spent outside recreationally each week and also controlled for a number of different factors like their income and their, their health status and that sort of thing. And they found that when they reported that they spent at least 120 minutes each week outdoors, that they reported significantly higher health and well-being. And I think that's so, it's very handy. It's very convenient because we have a, a recommendation from Health Canada that we spend at least two and a half hours, um, not outside, but doing exercise every week, something moderate to vigorous. And so that two hour figure is both a nice round one that's easy to remember, but also close to the physical activity guidelines. So something that would seem familiar to physicians in particular. And then in terms of the 20 minutes each time guideline, that also came from a study that was released in 2019. And it looked at three dozen adults over two months when they asked them to have at least a 10 minute experience in nature at least three times per week in somewhere um, that felt like they were having a meaningful nature experience, so self-defined. And then they actually measured their cortisol or stress hormone levels before and after those nature experiences or other experiences. And they found that it was between that 20 to 30 minute mark 
that in fact the the speed of the drop of cortisol was the the fastest. And so we know we're parents, we're busy, always trying to fit all kinds of things in. And so if you want the biggest bang for your buck in terms of that stress reduction, aim for at least 20 to 30 minutes. Of course, no one's going to say, you know, when you're done 30 minutes, head back inside, you know, of course, you're going to continue to experience those benefits if you continue to stay outside. But but again, if you really want that stress drop, aim for 20 minutes. And it just it just fits so well, two hours a week, 20 minutes each time, like it, it's easy to remember, which I think is a benefit too. Just thinking about that, if you're some of some of my family listening in from Australia, for example, would be like, well, that's easy because everything is outside. But when you think about the entire world and you think about Canada right now, like yesterday here in Vancouver and oh my gosh, it was it was some bad news outside, like three degrees and sleeting. Or you think of people living in the global north, like way up at the north, you know, and it's very dark out there. So I think it's, it seems achievable for, for all kinds of levels then, right? Where you're like, it's not just the beautiful sunny day where you could, as you say, easily spend longer than 20 minutes outside and you can apply it in kind of any weather. Well, do you know, that's funny that you mentioned that, Kate, because- I made a date with some, a play date with some friends to, to walk in Pacific Spirit Regional Park. Um, and I was looking at the sleet and looking at the forecast and thinking, who's going to text who first, you know, to cancel? And neither of us did. And so we both showed up. We went into the woods together. We were all wet, whatever, wearing our waterproof gear. And we had a great time. And partway through, the sleet stopped the sun came out and it was just beautiful, you know? So you never know what you're going to experience when you head outside. But I think as long as you have that spirit of adventure and you have the waterproof gear and you have a social network that can that can support you in going outside together, I think those are the key elements. Now, one thing that was interesting to me when the, the Parks prescription first came out, I mean, one thing I wanted in my head, I was like, well, isn't this so obvious? Of course you should just get outside. So how does having a prescription maybe legitimize this more for people? Because in one sense, it can seem so obvious. Like, did you get any pushback being like, well, do we really need a prescription for nature? And how has this helped people who have maybe struggled with some making some of those connections to getting outside? The power of a prescription, Jen, is that it formalizes a recommendation. It, it elevates um, a prescription for nature to the same level as a prescription for medication, which a lot of patients will usually fill if they're prescribed it by a physician. And there is evidence from the exercise prescription literature showing that when you write something down in prescription form, it increases patients' motivation to actually carry out that advice or, or fill that prescription, whatever it may be. So I think that formalization is a really important part of it. And then I think it also elevates it to the level of other things that we traditionally recommend to improve people's health. Um, so we like to call spending time outside in nature the fourth pillar of health, just as important as healthy diet, exercise and sleep as core components of a healthy lifestyle. So and, and I think it also provides a way to track things, too. Right. Like, if you know, if you just say give people verbal advice, I'm sure there are thousands, maybe more health professionals since we launched our program talking with their patients about the health benefits of nature. But then we don't really know what's going on exactly. Like we don't know who's prescribing it and what and what's happening in that respect. So I think it's a good way to build that community of people who are prescribing nature and also hear back from them about the benefits their patients are seeing and also track progress. It's true, Jen. You went to the physio recently and I didn't and you got some exercises from your physio for your knee and you're actually following them now, whereas I've been to the physio years ago and haven't gone back and I, I am not doing my exercises because no one wrote it down for me. So there's absolutely a lot of power in that. Melissa, can you tell us a little bit about the, if this is known in the, in the literature, but the actual differences between, say, downtown Toronto, where I know you used to live, this 
this sort of urban setting there with all the hard edges and the concrete and the glass versus what you see out in nature and why is that better for us? Why, like, what's the difference there? Which parts of that are actually influencing the health benefits? I think it's easier to feel like you've had a meaningful nature experience when there's higher amounts of biodiversity, less traffic noise, fewer artificial lights. And you can find that in places like our neighborhoods here um, in Kisilano, for example, where I live or around Vancouver. But I think in some ways, when we live in urban centers, it's important for us to reorient in our minds what nature actually is and and what a meaningful experience in nature can be. So for example, it could be if you're lucky enough to have a backyard in Toronto, it could be in your backyard. Um, there's this beautiful ravine net network that's actually not used that much in Toronto because a lot of people don't know about it. Like there are these little kind of signs and then these paths leading down into the ravines, but not a lot of people even notice them when they walk by. So I think you have to go looking for nature in your environment. And then also take the time to slow down, be mindful and notice the green, notice the blue in your environment. Because the interesting thing is there is some research showing that when you feel like you've had a meaningful nature experience, that's when you'll see the benefits. It doesn't necessarily depend on the biodiversity in that area um, or whatever rich green space it is. It, it depends on you feeling like you've had a meaningful nature experience. So even though we have to reach a bit further when we're in concrete filled cities, I think we can still find some green in, in most places, but you're absolutely right that there are inequities in green space in cities across Canada. And that's something else that I work on doing is trying to make sure that everyone in every neighborhood in every city is going to have the same access to green space. Now, you mentioned us earlier when we were just chatting, Melissa, that you have a son who is eight. Um, and obviously, you're heavily invested in the science of all of this. And I'm wondering how, you know, as someone who knows the science really well, how has this impacted your parenting? And do you make a point of getting outside with your, your child every day as well, because you know how important this is for his mental health also? 100%. So, you know, what's really funny is just like me, my eight-year-old is a massive bookworm. Like, you know how sometimes you have to pull kids away from video games or whatever? We have to yell at him to get away from his books. Like, put that book down and come to dinner. Or put that book down and let's go outside. So there are some things indoors that are pulling, pulling him to stay inside. But the difference I see in him, like how happy he is, how much more focused, how much better behaved he is when he spends time outside and when he interacts with his friends outside, um, the payoff is huge. And so that's why we make sure that we prioritize going outside with him, especially during the pandemic, right? When spending time inside is not as safe as spending time outside. I still remember sometimes two, three hours after school, he would be playing with his friends on the school grounds almost until the sun went down um, and loving it and not wanting to come home. So I think a big barrier sometimes is, is the transitions, as we know as parents, is the transition from one activity to another. But once that transition is made and when you prioritize it to, to heading outside, um, you'll definitely reap the rewards. And again, the evidence backs it up. It's so interesting that with kids, right? Because we had a guest on our show earlier this year who was talking about how long it takes kids to kind of relax into their play. Um, and if they're in a new setting, new social connections, that kind of thing, it could take them 45 minutes to get comfortable enough to begin playing. So I think, you know, while we're saying 20 minutes here, for kids, it's important to recognize that like a lot of that learning, I'm guessing, and the unstructured play that they can do takes a little longer to kind of develop, right? For them to sort of get comfortable with where they are and start to build the thing out of twigs or start to, you know, run and throw rocks in the river or whatever it is. So it's probably like you say, there is no, hey, it's 20 minutes, come inside immediately. <laughs> 
it's not the end of it, but thinking about how kids actually play, uh, we've kind of learned a bit through the podcast on that and how important just longer periods of time for kids are outside. Like you said, two or three hours for your kid. That's so cool. We're often on a mission too, I think as parents, like often we have our own agenda when we go outside, we want our exercise, we want that trail walk or whatever, you yeah. know, but letting your kid have the time to explore. It's something that I struggle with, to be honest, because, you know, I'm busy, we're all busy. And I think, okay, we, in my mind, I'm thinking we have two hours or we have one hour, you know, let's maximize this time outside. But usually, you know, if you, if you slow down, if you try to see the experience as not necessarily trying to get that exercise or whatever, and just going outside for the purpose of enjoying the health benefits of being outside together, I think it'll take a lot of the pressure off us to be everything <laughs> to everyone at all times. Yeah, I think that's so important. I actually did something this weekend for the first time in a long time. I went for a hike alone, like Hold actually on. alone. What? You didn't I have, have two little minions alongside I you? I know. What were you thinking? I, I realized because, you know, I was at that trade off of like, well, should we all get out as a family? You know, but that I was adjusting where we would have to go and the pace we would have to go on and what that experience would be like. And that's a great experience to have. And we do a lot of that. But for me, I was like, no, I want an hour where I can briskly walk at an adult pace in nature up some steep terrain to get my heart rate up. And that's just a different experience, right? So I think sometimes understanding like, do I need the exercise benefit for myself today? Or is this going to be a family nature outing where there's still some exercise benefit involved, but when you've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old going on your hike with you, you're just not hiking quite as fast. So I had a much, a much faster hiking experience, which I have not done in ages, like alone hiking in the woods. It was lovely. I think that's really important. Yeah, I, you know what, I think that is so important to do too, um, is to have that self care time, because it's great. I love my son, you know, I love spending time with him, especially outdoors. But sometimes you do need that time alone to clear your head or to get that exercise. And I don't think we should feel guilty about that. I think if you spend that time outside exercising, being mindful, you'll come back a better parent, you'll have more resilience, you'll have more patience for your kid when you do head inside together, or when you spend more time outside together. So I think I, I love that, Jen, that's really important. I'm glad you brought that up. Melissa, Jen and I, our eldest kids both started kindergarten this year. And so we're now adjusting to this new kind of school schedule and, you know, a lot of the emotions that come along with it. Do you have any advice for us on how to, you know, increase the amount of time our kids are spending outside with us in nature when they're in school all the time? Yeah, I, I think we really have to build it in and schedule it in. So that's one of the recommendations that we have in terms of how to maximize your nature prescription is don't just view it as kind of a, you know, an activity you'll get to if you have enough time, view it as essential. And so, for example, that's something that I did with my son after after school um, is just made sure he had that hour at least outside running around with his friends outside after school. Um, it depends, though, I guess, on the school grounds where, where your child goes if they're very green. Um, but again, we live here in Vancouver. We're lucky to have lots of parks and things nearby. So scoop them up and, you know, take them to a park where they can run around for an hour. But yeah, that scheduling in part, I think, is really important when when you have a busy schedule or even scheduling activities that happen outside. It's, you know, I guess it's not quite the same if you have a soccer practice or something, but they're at least they're outside on a field. They can see the mountains in the distance or the trees. You know, it's it's probably better for their health overall than doing, a you know, an indoor soccer practice, for example. One thing I've thought about with the, the sort of green spaces you sort of alluded to here was, you know, are they all created equal? And obviously they're not. But can you see the health benefits or the impact on people's, you know, mental well-being 
in these kind of wilder places. So, for example, here in Vancouver, I'm thinking, you know, of like a local neighbourhood park versus getting up to like Garibaldi Lake in, you know, uh, near Squamish. Are there any differences in those kind of wild places on the health effects that, that nature has on us? Something that those wild places give us that I think maybe a local park doesn't always is a sense of awe you go there and you're blown away by the uh, by the landscape or by how far you can see into the distance or by the incredible tall trees, which we don't always get when we spend time in community parks. And there is research showing that that sense of awe can, in fact, really improve mental health outcomes. So it's it's something that I missed, to be honest. Um, we, we were lucky enough over um, October Thanksgiving to head down to uh, Washington for the first time in three years since the pandemic began. And we just went on family hikes um, at Mount Baker. And and my husband and I really felt a sense of awe when we were looking over those vistas. I can't say that our seven-year-old at the time really appreciated as much. I, th- I almost feel like I, either he's just used to growing up in this kind of beautiful environment, or he's just transfixed by all the little things at his feet, like the wild blueberries or whatever little ground squirrel is running by. But I think for adults, especially when we're not used to seeing such amazing vistas in our everyday lives, um, and when we realize how special it is, I think it can give us that sense of awe that will improve health outcomes. Yeah, I love that. I love that sense of awe. And I mean, it makes you feel like your place in the world. You realize kind of how small you are, but like in a good way in that kind of a sense. Um, I wanted to circle back to the Parks Prescription Program because it's been in effect for two years now. Is that right, Melissa? Almost coming up on two years. That's right. And do you have some stats you can share with us on um, in general or what you have handy on like how many prescriptions have been given out and like how many minutes in nature have we helped people achieve with these park prescriptions? We have better figures around the number of prescribers. So we have over 10,000 health professionals across the country who have registered to prescribe nature through our program. And this, in fact, includes over 5% of all practicing physicians in the country, which doesn't sound like a huge number, but it is actually incredible because physicians are very slow to adopt new practice innovations. They are very conservative when it comes to new evidence. So the fact that 5%, over 5% of doctors across the country are now prescribing nature, it blows my mind, to be honest. Like I actually never saw it spreading that quickly (laughs) through my profession. Um, In terms of the number of actual nature prescriptions, I don't have those off the top of my head, but I, I do know that we have managed to prescribe over a thousand Parks Canada discovery passes over the last year or so, which is amazing. And we're incredibly grateful to Parks Canada for being so generous with providing this tangible benefit to our patients. But it's we are actually launching an app pretty soon to track and incentivize nature time among our patients. So I think we'll start to get a much better sense of how many hours patients in our program are spending outside once we launch that app. Melissa, on the Parks Prescription Program then, do you have some anecdotes you can share from patients or stories that we can, you know, stories you can tell us about how people have really seen an impact on their health and well-being as a result of a park prescription that they've received? I can think of the very first patient I ever prescribed nature through our program. And it was uh, a woman from Europe, in fact, who had moved to Canada right before the pandemic hit. And she had a history of depression and anxiety. And in fact, wasn't spending a lot of time outside because she actually didn't feel like it was safe to spend time outside because we weren't quite sure at that time in terms of public health measures how COVID was transmitted and a lot of our parks became quite a lot busier um, because people were flooding outside in record numbers. And so 
I remember talking to her before we launched the nature prescription program and talking to her about what she needed, what she hoped to get out of the appointment and actually prescribing her a medication, um, an antidepressant medication. And then about a month later, following up after we launched the nature prescription program, then saying, hey, we've launched this nature prescription program. How much time are you spending outside? Would it be okay if I gave you a prescription for nature for our program to formalize this recommendation? And she said, yes. Um, and this is an experience that I've had so many times with prescribing nature and that I think they might think I'm kind of weird, you know, or like a crunchy granola hippie <laughs> to prescribe nature to them. But almost invariably, they say, I do spend, um, when I spend time outside in nature, I feel so much better. I feel calmer. Um, my mental health improves. So I wrote her that nature prescription. And then a month later, we followed up again. And I still remember the words she said to me, which were, I'm shocked at the progress I've made. I'm spending more time outside. Um, I can focus better. I'm functional at work. Thank you so much for writing me that nature prescription and helping me because I feel so much better. And I've heard lots of stories like that from my colleagues too. They say they keep writing prescriptions for nature over and over again because of the way that their patients react. Um, and initially, a lot of them thought, hmm, you know, what are they going to think? But they're so well received. And I think, again, because there's this intuitive sense people have that nature is good for them. And when it's backed up by a recommendation from a doctor or a nurse or trusted health professional, what could be better? In your practice, Melissa, or, you know, through the rollout of the parts prescription program, I'm sure you've encountered, you know, barriers to people being able to spend time outside. What do, what do you think are some of the most common barriers for patients who want to spend time outside, but just, just can't? Like what, what kinds of things are holding them back? In terms of the barriers that our patients frequently report, one of them would be time. Um, they don't know how to fit nature into their already busy schedules. But one recommendation that we have is to try to substitute indoor activities for outdoor activities to do the same thing. Like if you're going to meet your friend at a cafe or a restaurant or something, take that meal to go and walk through a park instead. Um, eat your lunch outside, maybe in better weather or whatever, on a heated patio or something like that's looking out at trees or the ocean if you can. So just just realizing that there are places that we can fit nature into our into our busy lives. And then another one is transportation. And so, again, I live in a very nature-rich area of the city, so it's easy for me to get to beautiful nature, but that's not the case for everyone within BC, within Vancouver, um, and in Canada. And so that is something that we have started some dialogue with different transportation organizations about, is how to get people from less nature-rich areas of the city to more nature-rich areas. And I think that's really important. Um, that's something that frequently comes up. Even when we're prescribing Parts Canada discovery passes, people say, well, how do I get there? you know, this this national park or this Parks Canada site is is like a one to two hour drive away from where I live and there's no transit that takes me there. How do I get there? So I think that's something that we need to prioritize. I think that's something decision makers, urban planners need to prioritize is figuring out how to get people to these natural areas so they can actually improve their health. We always like to talk, Melissa, um, with our guests about times when things have gone wrong. Um, you know, when you go outside with your kids, uh, there's always something going wrong. For example, I just, yesterday I was trying hard to get my kids, you know, even 20 minutes outside was hard yesterday with the sleet falling here in Port Moody. Um, actually, Jen, I came past your house to drop something off and then we went over to the big mud pit. Do you know this big mud oh, pit? Oh, yeah, yeah. And the kids were absolutely loving it, jumping, 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 until invariably one of them face plants straight into the mud, screaming because it's cold, fun. wet mud. Anyway, Melissa, do you have any stories you could share about when things have gone wrong with, with your kid while you've been uh, getting outside? Oh, I have to think about that. Do you know what I think? A lot of the blame actually lies with me um, when I get <laughs> my kid outside because 
I tend to push my kid. Like, so for example, the very first time, you know, he started to ride his bike for a longer period of time. He had training wheels. Um, the training wheels were very high off up off the ground. So in fact, the bike was kind of crooked. And so every time he made a turn, I had to almost catch him so he wouldn't fall. But I thought, okay, we're going to go on our first bike expedition. You know, let's bike all the way to Stanley Park and meet our friends. <laughs> and he was, I don't know, three or four years old at the time. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I think overestimating my child's capacity um, is an issue for me. Anyway, I, I've learned, obviously. And he made it, by the way. He actually, That's a long you know, way from kids to Stanley Park. That is a big I know. bike ride. <laughs> I know, exactly. So, but, you know, we took the aqua bus or whatever across this, you know, nice. the um, English Bay. So we didn't have to ride on all the streets. And then we made it all the way home <laughs> with, you know, a little bit of crankiness along the way, understandably. But I tend to, you know, we tend to kind of try to push our kid to, to do these longer hikes. And he's been able to more with time. Like when he was five, there's no way he could have, when he was in kindergarten, he couldn't have gone on these multi-hour hikes. But for example, when we were um, at Mount Baker, two days in a row, we did these long four to five hour hikes up mountain ridges, scrambling across um, scree, you know, like it was actually incredible to see how his capacity to hike and to keep up with us. In fact, sometimes he's faster than we are, um, has expanded and evolved with time. So I think you know, I wouldn't say push your kid, you know, right away <laughs> to take a four or five hour, hour hike in the mountains, but keep exposing them to it and they'll catch up. You know, they'll eventually be able to outpace you, um, which makes me both sad and also proud of my son that he can do that. Well, there you go, Jen. It's something to look forward to on your next hike. I know. I'm excited. I mean, we've had some guests on on previous episodes of the podcast who have, you know, even four and five-year-olds who are already doing some pretty big adventures. Um, and their advice has kind of been the same. Like, your kids are often capable of more than we think they are. And it is just that often that exposure, right? Like repeated exposure, one step at a time, one bike ride at a time gets them there to when they're, they are seven, eight, nine and beyond. And they're able to do a little bit more. Um, Melissa, you've shared so many amazing things on the podcast today. If someone's interested in learning about the prescription or getting outside or any of those details today, where can they learn more about this amazing program? I would ask you to head to www.parkprescriptions.ca. And there's a link to our French language website at the top. Also, if you speak French, and just explore the website. It has all kinds of evidence-based resources for patients and prescribers about the health benefits of nature, all our latest media articles and, and blog entries. So check it out and you'll you'll learn everything you want to about nature and health and more. Well, it's, it's so amazing you having you on the show here today. Um, and, you know, we, we are big proponents of getting outside, but certainly if this is something you're struggling with, you're looking for solutions, speak with your doctor and see if this is a program that might be beneficial for you. Uh, we know that just 20 minutes a day can have huge health benefits. And we're all about getting our kids out for even the smallest of adventures because it, we know we have seen it. It helps us just parent better and get through the day better. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast today please make sure you subscribe for our weekly episodes of get outside with kids and if you're on social media make sure that you're connecting with us on instagram of get outside with kids and we'll be back next week with more tips for exploring outside